I'm Michael Tobin, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. It's no secret that hard drugs like heroin, meth, and cocaine are a serious problem. Heroin devastates communities across the country. There's no way to stereotype its users in their stories. Now, the problem has expanded. It's not only street drugs. Prescription painkillers like morphine and oxycodone are creating new addicts every day. While we are not able to interview any addicts for this podcast, the stories our guests share with us provide some insight into the epidemic's toll on Eugene and Lane County. It is really easy to start doing drugs in a community like Eugene, and it is really hard to stop. This is Chris Wig. He's the program director at Emergence Addiction and Behavioral Therapies. And that it's not worth it. It's not, it's not worth it. It's objectively not worth it. His organization works with the Drug Court to help addicts recover from addiction. At the most fundamental level, Drug Court works with people convicted of a crime related to drugs and helps them stay sober. Chris says that cities like Eugene can attract people who want to do drugs and face little no consequences. Part of that attitude comes from a practice of lax policing. And that if you are a person who, you know, doesn't necessarily have anywhere to be, you know, uses drugs and alcohol, doesn't want to get hassled by the cops, and you hear, hey, there's a place where I can go and I can get as high as I want, and I'm not going to get arrested. I'm not going to get in trouble for doing that. Where would you go? So this type of behavior is obviously detrimental to a user's health, but it takes a toll on the community as well. One of the biggest misconceptions around hard drug possession is that it's a victimless crime. Eugene has a startlingly high rate of property crime. It's way higher than the rest of Oregon and the national average. Certain crimes like identity theft and burglary go hand in hand with drug addiction. I mean, I used to joke with methamphetamine. I think I only handled one identity theft case that wasn't related to methamphetamine. Oh, geez. Um, so there are certain crimes which are sort of really stand for other types of so you don't catch you know a user with track marks. Marty Wildey is the executive director of the Lane County Medical Society, and he's also a prosecutor. So he's really seen both sides of the story here. Okay, so obviously this isn't every addict. The opiate crisis sweeping the nation doesn't discriminate on who is a victim. Since the beginning of the reporting on the opioid crisis, the notion that anyone could be an addict has caused Americans to take a hard look at those who use prescription drugs. The overprescription of painkillers has created a new group of addicts. The perception around heroin users is changing from some sort of junkie who's homeless and living on the street to something that encompasses parents, aunts, uncles, and even grandparents who were sucked into the tide of addiction. The politician who I can think of who speaks the most convincingly about the results of opiate addiction is Chris Christie. The politician Chris is talking about is Chris Christie. He's the governor of New Jersey. Chris Christie talks about how there's a guy who he went to law school with who, you know, went on and made partner at a young age and had, you know, the wife and the kids and the picket fence and all the great, this great life. And then he got a back injury. And so he started taking pills. And then that wasn't enough. So he started taking more pills because he still hurt. And then it started, you know, it started to unravel that, you know, he was found to be abusing his pills, so he lost his prescription. So he started buying pills on the streets. So then he started doing heroin. So his wife and his kids left him. And he ended up dying homeless. This guy who graduated from law school with Chris Christie at the top of his class, who was the partner at a great firm and probably made a million dollars a year at one point, ended up dying homeless on the street because of opiates. And that that is a harrowing story that is true and that it is can be replicated in communities, almost every community in this country. 
It's insidious. What Chris said about Governor Christie's friend is completely flipped the narrative around prescription drugs and heroin. So you really have to ask yourself, how did this all happen? When it comes to these types of public health crises, there's no single entity that can take all the blame. However, it's hard to deny that the pharmaceutical industry plays a huge role. Something as big and multifaceted and complicated as the opioid crisis is not any one thing's fault. There's not a cause and effect like that, that that's not how it works. But the pharmaceutical industry is at best complicit and is probably the main driver of the opioid crisis because of the misinformation that they provided to doctors in the late 80s through the early 2000s about how and when to prescribe opiates. What Chris is saying about when to prescribe opiates hits at the core of the problem when it comes to overprescription and its dire consequences. Marty says that this isn't really easy. Doctors wanted to make sure that their patients were comfortable, but ultimately this really cost them in the long run. Boy, there's a lot of history here. You know, in the 90s in particular, there was a, an increasing focus on treating pain in patients. They were making it clear that it was a, an important uh, thing. And so you, people may remember that from the smiley faces for during kids' appointments or being asked to rate your pain uh, zero to 10. Uh, they had lots of different ways of addressing that. But the reality is that pain's quite complex. It has a lot of physical and uh, behavioral aspects to it. And so there are times it's fairly easy to treat, but there are also times it's quite complex. And so- uh, At the most fundamental level, the pharmaceutical uh, industry misled consumers and doctors alike on the risks of prescribing opiates to treat pain. And now the country is really paying the price for it. Back to Chris. Opioid pain pills are good for like seven days after a, an injury or a surgery or something like that, that people should not be, maybe 14, but people should not be getting opiates as a refillable prescription or that they should be on opiates for long periods of time. Opiates are toxic for you. Like, and that when you take opiates and mask pain, you can't rehabilitate injuries, like back injuries, for example. People that are injured need to be receiving physical therapy, that they need to be healing, and that opiates don't heal you. They mask your pain. And that somewhere along the line, we got this idea that it is unacceptable for doctors to allow patients to be in pain, and that the end result of that is this. And so I... So now that there is a consensus regarding the damage the pharmaceutical industry has caused to patients, what's next? How are states addressing the crisis? Several states, counties, and cities have been taking action against large pharmaceutical companies through the legal system. So the pharmaceutical companies are being sued, but how do states deal with the fallout from heroin? What happens with all of the addicts? Oregon has taken a new approach, decriminalized possession of hard drugs like cocaine, heroin, and meth. Obviously, this decision attracted a large amount of criticism on both sides of the aisle. I think that reclassifying possession of methamphetamine, cocaine, and heroin from a felony to a misdemeanor is a huge mistake. With the House bill, their intent was good. Their intent is to limit mass incarceration and to address disparate outcomes because we know that um, African Americans, Latinos are arrested more frequently, Native Americans especially, are arrested and you know incarcerated at much higher rates and that that is a worthy thing to do and I think that the first half of the bill, the part that addresses the racial profiling actually does that. I think that the second part of the bill, that reclassification, 
is going to have pretty serious unintended consequences and is going to hurt the people that it is intended to help. Although we can't see into the future, Chris offers us a prediction about the fate of the drug companies, which are responsible for one of America's largest public health crises. I think that if you want to talk about in the next five years, I foresee a tobacco level settlements coming to states, especially states in the Rust Belt. Mm -hmm. For the Emerald Podcast Network, I'm Michael Tobin. Additional reporting for this podcast was done by Matteo Sundberg, and this episode was produced by Michael Tobin. Our music is titled Oscillator and A Long Night by BBATV. You can find Emerald Podcasts on the Emerald homepage, SoundCloud and iTunes, or wherever podcasts can be found. Thanks for listening.